Hi, everybody. Chuck here for another Saturday Stuff You Should Know Selects edition. This week, I picked How the Cannonball Run Worked, October 22nd, 2009. This was a fun one, uh, The Cannonball Run. We certainly talk about the movie and the sequel. It was one of my faves growing up. Uh, but it was based on a real race. The Cannonball Run is, or was, geez, I'm not even sure if it's still going on. This has been a while since we recorded this one. It is a, a road race, a cross-country road race that seems too strange to be true that people would actually get in their cars in the United States and drive super fast and elude the cops uh, all across the country in order to win. I don't even know if there was money involved. A trophy? Burt Reynolds' mustache? Only you can find out by listening to How the Cannonball Run Worked, right here, right now. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is our good friend Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Yes, How indeed. are you, Chuck? Thank you, good friend. How are you feeling right now? Uh, I'm, I'm fine. I'm a little hot. I'm schwitzing. Yeah. Chuck is weird. bright red right now, everybody. It's kind of weird looking. Yeah. Thank you, Martin, for that. Mm-hmm. Our super fan in Seattle. Thank you very He's much. He's not a super fan. He's a buddy. He has been. He's, he was such a fan that he actually became a friend. He's a friend that we haven't met yet. Yeah. So, uh, Chuck... Take us back to 1981, man. In the time machine? Yes, the way back machine. You ready? Here we go. Okay. All right, Josh, I'm 10 years old. Knee high to a grasshopper. Disco is dead. Margaret Thatcher is the prime minister of England. I take issue with the disco being dead line. I don't know that disco ever died, man. You cannot make the argument that all modern R&B, pop, soul is all disco. Disco is alive. Okay. Margaret Thatcher is the prime minister of England. Ronald Reagan is in office, just as Jimmy Carter has exited. Walter Cronkite <laughs> resigned from the CBS Evening News desk. That was a sad day. The first AIDS case was made public in California. Have you ever seen in the band played on? My brother worked on that. That was a great made-for-TV movie. It really was. It was really good. And he had a great experience working on that. Some oh, really yeah? fine people in that movie. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, Major League Baseball has just gone on strike in the summer. For what will be the first of 80 times over the next five years. Right. So America's depressed, but not for long. No, because one Mr. Burt Reynolds is about to dash across the silver screen. That's right. In a little movie called Cannonball Run. Great, great, great movie. It was a great movie. I haven't seen it in forever. I, I, I think either. I probably saw it in like 1987. Right. It was one of the first movies we rented. Sure. Along with Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, yeah. Very hokey and corny, but still beloved. What's, what's, yeah, everyone takes it as a comedy because it is a comedy. Clearly. But uh, this is not to say that it started out as a comedy, actually. It was supposed no. to be serious, and, and Burt Reynolds' part was originally written for Steve McQueen, right. who died before he could film the movie. Sadly. It was supposed to be a serious movie, and it didn't turn out that way. Why would anybody want the Cannonball Run to be a serious movie? Well, because it was, in fact, based on a real race. What? What? <laughs> True, based on a real race, as you know. Yeah, I, I do know after reading this article. Yeah. I, I think I'd heard that before, but I had no idea the details. I didn't either until I wrote it. This was really amazing. Like, I have, I'm just going to come out and say it. I have a man crush on a 70-year-old, Mr. Brock Yates. Yeah. He is a cool dude who he I would have loved to have hung out with. I bet he's still a very cool dude. And hung out with in a strictly platonic sense. Sure. Yeah. Maybe a little making out, but <laughs> aside from that. <laughs> yeah, I bet he's still a way cool guy. 
I get that impression. He is. He. Um, this is this is kind of what I gathered about Brock Yates from researching this and reading your article. Go ahead and say who he is. He was a uh, pretty much the premier automotive journalist of his age. Yep, editor of, the of late sixties, uh, car and driver 70s. magazine. Uh, eventually, yeah, mm-hmm. but I think uh, he he started out as a journalist and uh, something of a Gonzo journalist. I take it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he was very well known and respected in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the early nineteen seventies, America was at a fork in the road, if you will. So to speak. And Brock Yates represented one direction, and that was the out, just go, and <laughs> if you die, that was your number was up right. kind of mentality. Behind the wheel, that is. Yeah, you know? Mm-hmm. Damn the torpedoes. Sure. Full steam ahead, right? On the other side of the road, at, on the other side of the fork, was a guy named Ralph Nader. Yeah. Who was... He's still there on that other fork. He is. Um... He, if for those of you who don't know who Ralph Nader is, he's run for president a couple of times. Sure. Um, he got George Bush elected in 2004. Thanks for that, Ralph. Yeah. Um, but he's also a very dedicated consumer watchdog. He has, for many years, lived in a tiny little one-room apartment. He uses a hot plate. Um, he Does just, he really? He lives this very meager life, so no huh. one can say, you're corrupt. Right. Because he goes after everybody else. Sure. And in uh, the 1970s, in the early 1970s, he was going after the automotive industry, right? Right. He went after, uh, he, he wrote this book called Unsafe at Any Speed. Great And book. it was basically about, have you read it? I've read uh, parts of it uh, through research and stuff, yeah. Okay. Um, so you know then it was basically about how the automotive industry was producing these incredibly dangerous vehicles. Right. Death machines. Right. And at the time, we didn't really have much of a speed limit. Sure. So uh, as, a, as a result of his book, we like uh, seatbelts became mandatory. New safety designs had to be instituted by car right. manufacturers. Sure. It was a big deal. Um, so America's at this fork in the road. Brock Yates down one end. And Ralph Nader on the other, mm-hmm. and America went down the Ralph Nader fork. Right. I think path. what you're referring to is uh, the national speed limit. That's part of it, definitely. But I think even more than that, it's a more of a, you know, the, the way you and I were raised, where we're like, we could do anything we put our minds to, and we were special. Right. I think that that came out of that collective decision to go uh-huh. towards safety rather than, you know... Fun at any cost. Yeah. Reckless abandon. Exactly. Devil may care. Sure. But yeah, the national speed limit was definitely one part of that. Yeah, that was uh, 55 miles an hour, which was... In 1974. Yeah. That it's, it's since gone up quite a bit in, in certain areas, of course. It has. But even more than safety, do you know why they set the speed limit at 55? Gas consumption? Yes. Really? Yeah. The, uh, Ar- the uh, Arab... Oil embargo had right. just taken place. Okay. OPEC was like, hey, U.S., uh, we're not real happy with you for siding with Israel during the Yom Kippur War, so we're going to cut off your oil. And they did. And prices spiked. And the U.S. said, okay, we need to rethink our dependence on foreign oil. Right. Uh, it had a huge rippling effect, but one of them was setting the speed limit at 55 miles per hour. Which is too slow. It is too slow, Can especially in the op- opinion of somebody like Brock Yates. Oh, I thought you were going to say Sammy Hagar. <laughs> yeah, he can't drive 55. He can't. He's tried. He has. He, he's made a concerted effort, but he, he it didn't can't. pan out. No, right. He tried. I love the, that song. It wasn't, I don't like to drive 55, or I would prefer to drive faster. It was, I can't <laughs> drive 55. Exactly. I've yeah. tried, and it just yeah. doesn't happen. It was very explicit. Yes. So, Chuck, um, this, this was 1974. In 1971, Brock Yates saw the writing on the wall. 
that the speed limit was going to be reduced. America was becoming something of a... Mamby-pamby? Yes. Okay. Um, and what did he do as a result? He, uh, in 1971, he took a trip across the country in a Dodge van with three travel mates, and he drove from New York to Los Angeles as a uh, way of uh, proving slash protesting. I believe his quote yeah. said something like this. Good drivers and good automobiles could employ the American interstate system the same way that the Germans were using their Autobahn. Right. So he wanted to prove that you can drive fast if you're safe, if you're a good driver, you can get to point A to point B in a car, and it's safe. Yeah, and you, you said reckless abandon. There was definitely uh, a, a certain level of professionalism or um, it, the people who he considered good drivers were actual good drivers. Like, True. you had to be a good driver to drive fast, in his opinion. Yeah. It wasn't just like, everybody go as fast as you can. That right. wasn't the point. Sure. Right? So he did so. He drove uh, 2,858 miles from New York to L.A. Mm-hmm. in 40 hours and 51 minutes, which is an average of 70 miles per hour. Yeah. Which is pretty fast if you're talking about an average speed. Yeah, because that included stops, I think, stops, right? Stops, uh, you name it. Right. So um, after that happened i think it got a little bit of publicity um by word of mouth yeah very maybe the racing world Uh and there was a famous telegram that came uh i guess a month or so later yeah i love this can i read it yeah yeah it's awesome uh it says this constitutes formal entry by the polish racing drivers of america in the next official cannonball baker see to shining sea memorial trophy dash the drivers are Oscar Kowaleski, Brad Nemechek, and Tony Adamowicz. If we can find California, we'll beat you fair and square. So basically, the gauntlet was laid, and the Cannonball Run was born. Although, like you said, the official name uh, has always been Cannonball Baker Sea to Shining Sea Memorial Trophy Dash. Right. So wh- wh- who's Cannonball Baker? Cannonball Baker. Erwin G. Cannonball Baker was a uh, – he was famous for – for pushing the limits uh, limits on a motorcycle. Yeah. So he would drive from uh, Canada to Mexico, from New York to L.A. on an old Indian motorcycle, and we're talking starting in 1914. Right. So like the old Indian motorcycle was basically a bike with a motor. Yeah. That's exactly much. what it looks like. Yeah. You know, um, he actually had a pretty well deserved reputation for like his nickname uh-huh. and just the stuff he was doing. His endurance level. Mm-hmm. Apparently, on one ride, uh, he came around a curve. Uh huh. And was about to barrel into a herd of cattle that was in the middle of the road, because it's 1914. Sure. And um, he swerved to miss him, hit a pothole, flew off of his bike onto the back of a cow, which bucked him off and eventually landed in a ditch. Wow. Got up and drove away. That is the stuff of legends. That's how you get a race named after you, my friend. Exactly. Uh, And he went on to become the first commissioner of NASCAR, which I thought was pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. So there you have that. Yeah. Nothing to do with moonshine, though. Uh, or did he? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, curious. So, yeah, uh, Yates wanted to pay uh, homage to Cannonball Baker, so he named it after him. Although he did shorten the name, uh, Cannonball was two words. Original, for, uh, for, for Baker. Yeah, for Baker, but he shortened it to Cannonball to avoid any illegal mess. Right, his lawyers advised him to do that. Yeah, I thought that was kind of weird. Yeah, well, anyway, so you have the Cannonball, originally called the Cannonball Dash, 
Uh, and then it finally became the Cannonball Run, yep. which is how we know it today, right? And thanks to the Polish uh, drivers of America who laid down the gauntlet, it was a real thing. They did, and they weren't the only ones to uh, participate in the first official Cannonball. That first run he made in the van mm-hmm. uh, was considered like a preliminary test run. It wasn't sure. the first Cannonball because there was nobody competing with him. Right. So this second one, uh, there was the Polish Racing Drivers of America um, and seven other groups, including three vans. Yeah. Uh, there was a huge motorhome. There was uh, an American Motors AMX, an MGB GT, mm-hmm. and a Cadillac Sedan DeVille. And this is probably That's the great. coolest part of this entire story. Yeah, I love it. Tell them. Uh, this Cadillac was um, owned by an old gentleman in New York. In and, Boston. Oh, in Boston. Uh-huh. And he um, wanted to, and this happened back then, it may still happen now, where you would contract someone to drive your car from one place to the other because you can't get it there. Richard Pryor contracted Dana Carvey in Moving. Really? Great movie. Ooh, I didn't see that one. I thought it was a stinker. No, it was good. Was it good? Uh So uh, this old man put out an ad in the paper, and and I need to get my car to uh, Los Angeles, and these guys answered it and (laughs) said, we'll get your car to Los Angeles. (laughs) And uh, unbeknownst to him, it was was one of the entries, and um, I think one of the stipulations was, the car not be driven faster than 75 miles per hour at any time. Or in the dark. Oh, was that the other one? Yeah. And clearly they broke both of these because the <laughs> Cadillac averaged 79 miles per hour. Right. And which means they were driving a heck of a lot faster than that. I think they came in third, too. Yeah, third place. Yeah, not, not too bad. But I think they got the car there in one piece and safely. <laughs> yeah. So good for them. Right. They're like, here are the keys, pal. So... uh Go ahead and start with the first race. Where did it start? Where did it end? Well, it started in New York at the Red Ball Garage at midnight, I believe, is when all of them started. Yeah. Um, and this was, what, 1971? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, November 15th, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and the ending place was a hotel in Redondo Beach. Yeah. What is it? The uh, Portofino Inn. Right. Okay. Which, is I, from pictures I saw, was a pretty luxe little hotel. I think so. Um and it, you didn't have to follow any specific route. You just got there any way you could. Right. Basically, the only rules were uh, you could have as many drivers as long as there's only one car. Mm-hmm. And you could leave at any point within the 24-hour window. It wasn't like everyone started at the start line like, like a typical race. Just like in the movie, you would punch a time clock for right. when your starting time was right. and then punch it again for when you arrived. Yeah. And whoever won, won. And I believe there was no trophy at the time. It was only a $50 entry fee, and then they donated 200 a piece to charity. Well, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Sure, why not? So uh, apparently, two days before the race, Brock Yates had uh, managed to finagle a Ferrari Daytona, a brand new Ferrari Daytona. A loner. Out of an auto dealer. Uh-huh. Um, and he had the car, but he only had himself. He didn't have a co-pilot or a driver. Right. Uh, and apparently, he sent out all these invitations and a lot of um, to race car drivers, like legitimate race car drivers. Uh-huh. And they they were like, you know, if something if somebody dies or something, it's going to look really bad for the sport of racing, and I don't want to do that. And then uh, one guy he had invited, Dan Gurney, who is a professional race car driver, yep. had declined initially, um, but he apparently um, was told by his wife. That his dying father-in-law said, you should go do this. Life is short. Right. So Gurney contacts um, Yates the day before the race and says, hey, can I still come? And uh, Yates said, heck yeah. Yeah. And that proved to be uh, fortuitous because they won they the did first win. cannonball run. Yeah, they did. Their winning time, Josh, was 35 <laughs> hours and 54 minutes. Not bad. Cross country. Not bad at all. And not uh, Atlanta to L.A., New York to L.A., which is further. Yeah. Because I've made it in 33 hours from Atlanta to L.A. Have you? 
Yeah, that's the way I've always done it. Three 11-hour days is how I schedule it out. I never time myself, but, you know, I went and drove around the West for several weeks and lived in a van with the dogs and all that. Sure. And um, I would drive, like, I think the longest I drove was a 12-hour stretch. Um, that's which, about all I can muster. Yeah. That's enough for me. Yeah. Depending on how much coffee I drank or whatever. Right. You know, then I, I could drive you know six hours or 12 hours or whatever but it's amazing the toll that just sitting in a car with your foot on the gas oh yeah has on you sure especially when you're driving that fast uh should we talk about some of the some of the things they they preferred to do on the on the first race please they one of the common tactics it seemed like was to keep it slow in the eastern seaboard um i think new jersey and connecticut and ohio and pennsylvania these states are notorious for for having uh, some pretty hardcore highway patrolmen. Yeah, still do. Yeah, like you'll get pulled over for doing sixty five. Right, isn't that nuts to you? That is nuts. To I me. can't imagine for getting pulled over for anything less than seventy two, seventy five. Right in Georgia, by the sure. way, everyone flies. Yeah, oh, as yeah. fast as you can, as fast as you can get away with. That's how fast you drive generally. Yeah, even my my friend Derek used to say that it, the deal with Atlanta rush hour is. Everyone drives as fast as they can until somebody wrecks. Right. And then there's a big and then traffic jam. it just jam. stops. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty funny to think mm-hmm. about that. So uh, the, the trick was to kind of keep it slow on the eastern seaboard and in the Midwest. And then once you got to the Great Plains is when you really opened up. Yeah. And made up some serious, serious time. Yeah. They got it up to 172, I think, is how, how fast they found out the uh, Ferrari would go. Yeah. I think 12 speeding tickets total. Uh, between f- all of the all the competitors, yeah, between four of the competitors, four of them didn't get a ticket at all. Okay, so four of them split twelve tickets, and uh, the famous quote, "L.A. Times did a, like kind of a blurb of an article from Dan Gurney, right? Yeah, Dan Gurney famously said, "At no time did we exceed 175 miles an hour." They came close, though. which is pretty cool. Yeah, so Chuck, that was the first one, and uh, as with all cool things, uh, that also began its co-option. Sure. News got out, word got out. Mm-hmm. Little uh, by little. Yeah, the, the Sports Illustrated covered it, uh, and so did the Los Angeles Times. Um, and so when there was a second one, I think the following year, uh-huh. there were a lot more competitors, right? Yeah, they had um, 25 entries the second year, and Brock Yates finished second place this time in a Cadillac. Mm-hmm. Um, the third race, they skipped a couple of years, and uh, it was in 1975, and they moved it to springtime this time. And a Ferrari won the third race uh, with Yates and Gurney behind the wheel once again. Oh, so I didn't know they won the third one. Yes. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. They beat Yates and Gurney's record time the third year. Yeah, by uh, one minute, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it was not them. You're correct. So by 1975, which is what, the third one, fourth one? Third one was in 75. Okay. By 1975, it's officially co-opted. There's actually corporate sponsorship. Right. The right bra company placed uh, three ladies in pink in a limousine, mm-hmm. and apparently the driver fell asleep in Texas and rolled the thing, and I right. guess rolled into a porta potty right. which tipped over and drenched the, um, the ladies inside with its contents. <laughs> exactly. So by this time, now you can see why Burt Reynolds would have chosen more of a comedic route sure. than a Sharky's Machine route. Yeah. Well, it wasn't Burt's choice. Let's, should we move to the final year? Yeah. 
what happened was Brock Yates was pretty much finished with it. He said, you know, it's run its course. He said he was worried that somebody was going to die. Sure. Now. Although no one ever got hurt. No, but the, the, the roads in the last uh, eight years had become much more congested. Right. Um, he, he was ready to scrap the whole thing, but he had a friend, director, stuntman. Hal Needham. Hal Needham. Or is it Needham? No, it's Needham. Okay. And he was, he was famous for a lot of the early uh, Burt Reynolds movies. He, he yeah, did, did um, Hooper, which is a great movie. Is it? I haven't seen that one. Are you kidding me? I, I kid you not. Dude, got to get Hooper. Okay. That was the one about stuntmen. You have to see My Blue Heaven, though. All right, we'll get to that later. Okay. <laughs> so he did Hooper, and he did um, The Cannonball Run, and a couple of other the, of the Burt Reynolds films. Yeah. Of the he 80s. did uh, Smokey and the Bandit, too. D- no, oh, did Rock he? Yates wrote that. I'm sorry. Okay. So, uh, how Needham. all over the place today, aren't we? Chuck? We are. How Needham says, you know what, Brock? I want to make a movie about the Cannonball Run. And so I think the best way to do this is if we stage another one and I participate with you as my partner. Yeah. And so they did. They did that in 1979. Yep. And they had a record 46 entries this time. And a lot of what happened in this race actually ended up in the movie. Yeah, there was some zany madcap stuff that was going on. Let's hear it. Well, Brock Yates uh, and Hal Needham uh, actually had an ambulance. Mm-hmm. And Yates's wife, Pamela, posed as a woman suffering from a lung condition. Sure. And as a result, couldn't fly because of the pressurized cabin. Right. So she had to be zoomed across the uh, country at 100 miles per hour in the back of an ambulance. That was their yep. vehicle of choice. Um, and that ended up in the movie. They, uh, they modified the the engine mm-hmm. uh and it killed the transmission right so it had to be eventually towed across the finish line which i thought was pretty cool right and in the film that actually happened burt reynolds and dom DeLuise were the needham yates characters <laughs> and farrah fawcett was the uh was the wife dun, 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 dun. Huh? <laughs> uh, what else happened that was real three drivers uh, actually did pose as priests and yeah if you remember in the movie it was Awesomely, it was Sammy Davis Jr. and Dean Martin. Yeah, Dean Martino, drunk priest in the movie. Uh, what <laughs> I else? don't know that they were posing. They At really least were not drunk. the drunk part. Well, yeah. sure, they were probably hammered. Sure. Uh, what else, Josh? Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen the movie in a really long time. All right. Well, I got it for you then. Uh, there were, in fact, um, scantily clad, uh, skin tight jumpsuits on a couple of ladies in a sports car. I read the opposite. I read that that was the right bra company that inspired that part. I read the opposite. We'll have to check that. All right, we'll do it. And then there was a, a wealthy uh, entrant that had his chauffeur drive him in a Rolls Royce. Nice. And in the movie, that was uh, Jamie Farr. Played a Middle Eastern sheik. That's right. Clinger. Yeah. You know, he and I are from the same hometown. Toledo? In Toledo. Is that why he always wore the Toledo Mud Hens hat in MASH? Yeah, and why he talked about it incessantly. He really was Did from Toledo. That. Yeah, and Tony Paco's hot dogs that he talks about all the time. Uh-huh. Real place. Best hot dogs on the planet. Really? Mm-hmm. Had no idea. Yeah. So those are just a few of the things that uh, actually happened in the final Cannonball Run that ended up in the film. Um, and a Jaguar uh, driven by Dave Hines and Dave Yarborough won that year, and they obliterated the time period with a 32-hour and 51-minute 87 mile per hour average. Wow. 50 speeding tickets that year. Wow. Well, there were 42 contestants. Oh, sure. Yeah. So that was the last one, and it has spawned imitators over the years. Before Before Cannonball Run, the movie came out, there were already imitators. Oh, really? Yeah, there was one movie that came out in 75 and two that came out in 76. You want to hear the weird thing about it? What's that? David Carradine was in two of them. Really? He was in, uh, let's see, uh, 
Deathmatch 2000. Death Race 2000. Death Race 2000, mm-hmm. which was set in the future. Sure. But he was also in Cannonball, exclamation point. Right. Which is a farcical take on mm-hmm. the Cannonball run. A and there imitator. was a second one that had Gary Busey in it, or a third one that had Gary Busey in it called the Gumball Rally. Right. And that's that's a real one. The Gumball 3000 is still in existence. Yeah. Is that European or in America? Well, they do both. And, and they're quick to say that it's not a race. It's more like an adventurous road trip. Oh, and then the the, the lame Euro- tell tell them yeah tell them about the European uh, version of the Cannonball Run. They actually Chuck they, hates this. Yeah, I do. You know why? Because they call it the Cannonball Run. Yeah, they use that name, and this thing is not even a race. It the the, the goal of the Cannonball Run Europe is to stay as close to a sixty one mile per hour average as you can. And in two thousand eight, a friggin' smart car won. Oh. So, Talk about a slap in the face. Were Brock Yates dead, he would have rolled over in his grave. Yeah, he's rolling over in his uh, Instead, he rolled boy. over a smart car with his bare hands. He did. If anybody could do it, Mr. <laughs> Brock Yates could, my friend. I think so. So... That's a cannonball run, eh? How fast have you driven? What's the fastest you've ever driven? Oh, I don't know, 110. I actually once got a speeding ticket. Or no, you want to hear a weird story? Let's hear it. I don't know if this will make the final cut or not because it's kind of long, but get this. <laughs> so my friend and I were driving from Atlanta to Charleston uh-huh. in my old Toyota Corolla. It was an 86 champagne-colored Toyota Corolla. Nice. Um, and I was doing 110 on I-20 during a stretch where the speed limit was 55. So uh-huh. I was doing twice the speed limit. Nice. I get pulled over by this guy in this car um, with a little dash headlight on it spinning around. Mm-hmm. And I pull over, and this guy's dressed like a paramilitary cop. And he's like, you are so dead. You're going to jail forever. Right? And <laughs> he goes back to his car and calls somebody. This other guy comes out, and he comes back. He's like, you're at least going to lose your license. Then he goes back and talks to the guy who he said later was the sergeant on duty. And he comes back, and he goes, you're going to get a ticket of some sort. <laughs> and he, he goes back and talks to the guy again. And he goes... Here's your license back. You, you guys drive safely now and let us go. You're free to go. Exactly. So wow. what my friend and I are looking at each other like, what just happened? Right. right. It was so surreal. And to this day, I wonder, have you seen Pulp Fiction? Of course you have. Sure. You remember Zed? Yeah. I have the distinct impression that these guys were into Zed-like affairs. Oh, and something else was took precedent? I, I th- My friend was, he's not a good-looking guy. Right. So I'm thinking maybe they're like, we'll pass on these two. Oh. And we headed on to Charleston. I gotcha. Yeah. So they were going to get you back to the police station and uh, do- I don't think they were cops. Okay. What cop would not give you a ticket sure. when you're driving twice the speed limit? I gotcha. Yeah. I got a story. Oh, let's hear it. About four years ago, me and my buddy Scotty were doing, it was actually the last TV commercial job I ever did. It was a Six Flags job in Six Flags, Massachusetts, whatever that one's called. Six Flags over Massachusetts? Is it? I, I think it's Great America. Anyway, so we go up there to do this job. and um, What kind of job? I don't know. Was it, was, it was New Jersey, but we have to drive. Oh, it was a hit. Yeah. We, 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 we drive at one point. Um, my friend, we had like two days off while we were up there, and I had a friend in Vermont, and this third Star Wars prequel was being released that Friday. 
So I said, hey, man, let's go up and see Johnny Pendel and uh, rent a car and drive up there because we had a camera truck. He said, sure, let's do it. So we ran, we rented a uh, like a little Geo Metro, whatever the cheapest little four-stroke engine car you could get. That would be it. And we have a time limit because we have to make the movie. It's like a 6 p.m. showing. Mm-hmm. And so we're speeding through Vermont, like the hills of Vermont. It's lovely. And this little engine is like, <laughs> and we top this hill, and we see one of those signs that say your current speed, and it said your current speed, and it blinked and went 102. Wow. And I'd never seen a triple digit uh, on one of those signs. Yeah. So we just laughed and blazed right through it and made the movie. <laughs> you laughed in your geometry. It's like, call the police. And we literally, we made it right as the movie was starting. And, you know, the engine was like, tick, tick, it was like ticking. It was red hot. <laughs> nice. And that, that's my fast story. Well, if you have a fast story, we'd actually like to hear it. Here's the caveat. Don't go out and commit any kind of crime or act that includes fastness. No. If it's already happened, then we'll hear about it. We'll tell you the email right after we get to listener mail. Right, Chuck? Yes, Josh. All right. Let's go. Josh, I'm going to call this uh, sec- the only time we've ever read a, a listener mail from the same dude. Oh, I don't know about this, Chuck. Well, yeah, we have to. This okay. is the Hackster, Ryan Hack, my buddy. All right. Uh, listen to the House History Podcast, and I have a creepy story. One of the houses I grew up in as a kid had a hidden door as you go to the basement. It's more or less just blended into the wood, paneling. As you walk through the door, you came to an open area with some shelving and a workbench. There were a couple of old bike tires and some random parts still lying around. And a guy named Zed. And a guy named Zed. Every once in a while, we'd hear what sounded like people working on their bikes and chit-chatting, pounding metal gears, dropping, laughing, chains turning. Every time we'd go into the room, there was nothing. Weird. Weird. Uh, Later on, we found out the history of the house. Turns out uh, one of the previous owners uh, was a couple that enjoyed biking, and they died in a biking accident and forgot to get the memo (laughs) so just thinking about it gives me chills and this is from ryan and uh i'm gonna just go ahead and say that ryan hack has inspired me to exercise because he has a blog called hacksfirst5k.blogspot.com cool where he started uh running and lost weight and is into it now and he got me listening to another podcast called two gomers run a marathon I don't know that I'm entirely uh, okay with you leading this extra life that I'm unaware of until you read a, a listener mail. I know. But uh, Two Gomers Run a Marathon is actually a really funny podcast. It's these two guys that say they're gomers, kind of nerdy, uh-huh. and they, they're completely unathletic, yet they want to run a marathon. So their podcast uh, goes through their trials and travails, and it's really funny. they got a website called twogomers.com. So. Cool. Well, Ryan Hack, since you got all those plugs, and because you had two two listener mails read on air you have to go contribute 25 bucks to kiva.org on the stuff you should know team chuck you want to tell everybody else about that kiva.org go to the uh, click on community and search stuff you should know team join our team loan 25 dollars to a to a someone in need you can now donate yes. to americans yes i've heard if you're a nationalistic or an isolationist sure. You can still donate. But right now, as of press time, we have raised more than 4500 bucks. Yeah. In about 10 days. And uh, who has $7,100, Chuck? Uh, the lousy, cheap fans of the Colbert quote-unquote nation. You know what's sad? That guy's got way more fans than we do, right? Way more. 110 members on his team. we got 180 so far. Already. Yeah. So way to go, those of you in the Stuff You Should Know nation. 
who've supported Kiva.org so far. Uh, for those of you who want to get on the trolley, you can go to www.kiva.org slash team slash stuff you should know. And you can become a member. And like Chuck said, you can contribute as little as 25 bucks, And you actually get that back. If you want. Sure. You can roll it over again or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Chuck, that's it, right? That's it. If you have a cool high-speed story, Chuck and I want to hear about it. Uh, if you have a great unicorn story, you know we always want to hear about that. Send it in an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. <laughs>